Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, you're listening to the Clear Money Program's online radio show. I'm your host, Sarah Kurth, Community Relations Coordinator at Denver Community Credit Union. Denver Community is a not-for-profit financial cooperative serving the people of Denver, Arapahoe, and Adams counties. Today I'm speaking with Janet Barger of about financial aid for college. Ms. Barger is a client relations and education manager at Credit Union Student Choice. For more information about financial aid, please visit denvercommunity.studentchoice.org. Hi, Janet. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Doing great. How are you? I'm very well, thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining us. So let's start out by introducing you to our listeners. Could you please tell us a little bit about your experience in the financial aid field and what you do at Credit Union Student Choice? Be happy to. As the Client Relations and Education Manager for Denver Community Credit Union, I work with the credit union to train staff and educate them about the financing of education and the processes that that entails as well as assist them in educating their members and community about how to finance education and what sources are available in the processes. Okay, great. And how long have you been working in financial aid? Oh, my goodness, Um, over 30 years. Oh, wow. So you are very experienced. (laughs) And I was a borrower as well. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I think we all were at one point or another. But Yeah, I did receive financial aid. You're right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So... Um, seeing financial aid, what are the first steps I should take when requesting financial aid to go to school? Well, in addition to applying to a college or university that you want to attend, you would fill out the free application for federal student aid. And notice I use the word first word is free. That application is free through the federal government, and you can access mm-hmm. that information online. So paired with your admissions information, you would send the FAFSA um, Uh, complete the FAFSA application, and that allows you access to free money, which we may call it gift aid, but that's scholarships and grants, Mm -hmm. as well as access to what we call cheap money, which are federal loans, because those are low cost, but they are very valuable in the sense that you can postpone payments while you're enrolled, and we want to encourage you only to borrow what they need. And then lastly, if there is any necessary funding that is not covered by the free and the cheap, then you could borrow a GAP loan or a private student loan to cover that. But the best place to start is the free application for federal student aid. Okay, great. And um, should I fill out the FAFSA even if I think my family won't qualify for financial aid or grant scholarships? Well, keep in mind the free application for federal student aid, SARA, is um, access to not only government funding, but it could be state funding mm-hmm. or even institutional, the school that you're applying to. Mm-hmm. They may have some sources available for you that um, by completing the FAFSA you are going to be considered for. Mm-hmm. So don't don't assume that your financial situation would preclude, preclude you from getting um, additional funding, but you're you're right. Many people don't fill it out because they don't think they're going to get any grant money. Mm-hmm. But keep in mind, financial aid is any source of funding, whether it be free, grant, scholarship, cheap federal loans, or gap funding, any funding used for uh, your educational purposes or covering your educational cost is considered financial aid. Okay. And as far as what are some documents that you receive once you fill out the FAFSA? 
Um, there are a lot of acronyms thrown around in financial aid, such as EFC, SAR, obviously FAFSA. Um, so would you mind just explaining what's, what some of that documentation entails? or Certainly. When the FAFSA is completed, you'll send it um, electronically. You'll ask for it to be sent to whatever schools you're applying to. And each school then provides you um, what they call an estimated family contribution, and it's a report that comes from the uh, federal government. Uh, it's a SAR, the Student Aid Report, and on that, as I said, is the EFC. That information is utilized by the school in the form of award letter to mm -hmm. define what financial aid the student will receive from that particular school. So really the mo most critical piece of information you want to remember is that each school will be sending you an award letter and the other documentation is just to substantiate what has been communicated to those schools. Okay, and how early can someone go about filling out the FAFSA? I know that it requires tax information, but I believe it's fairly easy to go back and um, update that. You can estimate it in the, um, when you first fill it out. Is that correct? You're absolutely right, because um, I do know of some parents who literally start that application process, the FAFSA, on January 1 mm -hmm. and do an estimate because you can do it as of January 1st of the upcoming school year. So ex for the example of this upcoming school year, 2012-2013, the FAFSA was available January 1, 2012. But even if you have not completed the FAFSA as of today, you mm -hmm. can go ahead and complete it. And the advantage there is you can go ahead and pull down your tax information. But an estimate is appropriate to use because some people don't want to complete their taxes prior to April 15th, but many schools have deadlines for financial aid processing earlier than that April 15th IRS date. Okay, and other than meeting the school's deadlines, are there any other advantages to filling out the FAFSA early on? Well, primarily it allows you some maybe some peace of mind. <laughs> right, absolutely. You would, you would be able to plan because you would know your expected family contribution, so maybe that's low and you don't have to come up with as much money, but the expected family comp com excuse me, uh, expected family contribution. See, I wanted to say EFC because it's the acronym. It's a lot um, easier. It is a lot <laughs> easier. Enough. So the EFC um, is truly the measure of what the family's supposed to come up with regardless of what school they go to. So if okay. you're not able to meet that, you might want to find like an outside scholarship. How about mm -hmm. with the Rotary Club or the Lions Club or um, your financial institution or your church mm -hmm. or your employer may offer something to your um, the students or children of the employee. Okay. So there's lots of places to go look so you can whittle away at that or maybe even think about getting a job. Okay, and is there usually more um, financial aid available earlier on in the year? Is is there ever a situation where an institution, a university or college would run out of scholarship funds, for example? Well, states may run out, mm -hmm. or scholarships could be uh, awarded to students. So a okay. scholarship such as, you know, somebody that's maybe going to nursing school, that obviously mm -hmm. would be attributed to a nursing person. But um, depending on the the available sources of funds, institutional funds, the school funds, usually are a limited amount anyway. Mm -hmm. 
so they're assigned or provided or awarded to students that would be eligible. So if you're eligible, the sooner you get it in, the better it is. It's usually the state funds that are mm -hmm. exhausted even prior to um, deadlines. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's good to know. And uh, scholarships, it's never too early to start, right? I was under the impression when I was in high school that I had to be a high school senior to do it, and my high school senior year was action-packed, and I was working and doing sports and, and all kinds of clubs, and I just didn't make the time to uh, get to as many scholarships as I should have. There are scholarships that you can apply as early as the junior year, mm -hmm. and there again, you might want to do some research to target scholarships that really pertain to you. Okay. So, um, and as you as you well know, based on your school experience, you probably figured out that you know if you apply for five scholarships for five hundred dollars, that equals twenty five hundred dollars, rather than trying to just apply for one for twenty five hundred dollars, where the pool of people applying could be very large. So. Right. They do add up. So it's much better to pursue local and smaller scholarships, like you said, because they add up. Great. And, and in addition and in addition to that, Sarah, you can apply, you know, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year, depending on the program. Some are mm -hmm. not some you have to reapply every year, some may be freshman only. Right. You just have to be able to know what that criteria is. Okay. And if I'm not offered a lot of gift aid and those award letters um, that are generated through the data that I provide on the FAFSA, should I only pursue lower cost institutions? That's a great question. Um, no, not necessarily, because as I mentioned previously, that estimated family contribution that's determined by the FAFSA would be consistent regardless of what school you're going to. Um, so the award letter that you would receive from the school sharing with you each school's financial aid award or or package that they have provided to mm -hmm. you, you could do some comparison. Sometimes private schools are higher cost, but they may have greater funds, um, maybe a scholarship or grant, so you wouldn't have to necessarily pay that back because we call that, as we stated before, free money. So it really is a comparison. You know, Lower cost, you may get less funding, and a higher cost school, you may get more funding. In actuality, your out-of-pocket could be the same for both schools. You just need to research that. But as is typical in any situation, you want to be able to afford where you're going, just like you want to be able to afford your car of choice. You right. want to be able to afford your school of choice, so you want to make provisions to accommodate what those costs could be. Okay, so that's good to know that you don't need to rule out a private school just because it's more expensive. Just wait until you get the award letters and compare them. I would um, agree. Yeah, so we mentioned cost of attendance a little bit, which is usually abbreviated as COA, uh, and that determines how much money a student needs to attend an institution in a given year. So what exactly does the cost of attendance, or COA, include? Each school has a COA that could be defined as on-campus, off-campus, out-of-state, in-state. Mm -hmm. So the COA or cost of attendance is how much it costs that student to go to a school. That could include housing, transportation, books, um, anything that you would have to expend to be able to go to school. So maybe living on-campus, food plan, books, transportation to and from campus, you know, the sundries like laundry, your mm -hmm. cell phone, those kind of things. 
some of those things are included as well. Okay, so it seems that it includes uh, direct costs, like from the institution where you're going, such as tuition and fees, as well as indirect ones, which aren't necessarily uh, billed by the school, but are still things that you might need, like a computer and transportation. Right, and in the business, the education financing business, they normally call those direct cost fixed cost, mm -hmm. and then those indirect costs, they call them flexible costs because there is some latitude associated with that. For example, tuition is going to be a set amount every year. Granted, in today's world, you're hearing a lot about those costs going up, but um, that's a fixed cost. And then a flexible cost, how about books? You could buy used books rather than new mm -hmm. books. So that cost of attendance could be a figure that you could actually whittle away by reducing your flexible costs. Maybe you don't take your car to campus. Mm -hmm. Maybe you ride a bike across campus. You know, those That's kinds what I of did. things. Or, <laughs> like you did, right. Or um, use the university bus. Or last but not least, how about get a roommate if you live mm -hmm. on campus, you know. Um, maybe you don't buy the 21 meal plan because you don't eat. Right, or you're forcing yourself to eat more than you uh, would normally, which is what I did my freshman year. It was required to have a meal plan, so I had one, and I felt I had to take full advantage of it, and that definitely helped with the freshman 15. <laughs> Actually, so. 24-7 will do that to you, right, mm -hmm. Laura? <laughs> Absolutely. Even though there's healthy options there, you know, there were healthy options, but of course, you, you know, in all-you-can-eat cafeteria when you're a poor college student, you... Definitely want to make sure you're taking full advantage. Um, so you mentioned how to minimize the cost of attendance somewhat with the flexible costs. So pursuing um, books that are used, not even necessarily at a, an on-campus bookstore. Online, they tend to be cheaper. There are PDFs nowadays of uh, reading material that you would need for class. Uh, getting a roommate. Do you have any other recommendations to minimize those flexible costs and bring the COA down? Well, I do know of a family that actually um, did some research to the university where their daughter is attending, and she was able to go. She was originally assigned one dorm, but did some research, and there was another residence hall that was a co-op. So oh, wow. by doing a little housekeeping, like cleaning the stairwell or the common area, she was mm -hmm. able to reduce her dorm costs by about a third. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's pretty significant. and. I I don't think that existed at the school where I attended, but I know that when we were um, no longer freshmen, some of my friends uh, became resident advisors or RAs, and that brought their uh, room and board way down. So those are definitely uh, resources worth pursuing. And um, as far as being awarded financial aid, if you are awarded, for example, a $5,500 federal loan, do you have to accept the full amount if you have enough money in uh, grants and scholarships or from other sources that you don't have to repay free money to cover the cost of attendance? You're absolutely right. You do not have to accept the full amount or you don't even have to accept it at all. The, the true measure of that is making sure that you have the necessary resources, the necessary funds to cover the full cost of attendance, mm -hmm. especially those fixed costs or direct costs like tuition and fees that we mentioned. But you can, on your award letter, accept or decline anything on there and 
utilizing the free, cheap, and GAP process, you want to utilize the cheap money, which is the grants and the scholarships, and make sure you accept those that are offered to you. And then the federal funding, like a federal loan, such as the Stafford, you want to accept that because if they do award you a higher cost or maybe some other type of loan program, the federal funds offer you some benefits like repayment benefits or deferment, mm -hmm. postponement of payment benefits that may not be available. So look at your options, and as long as you can cover costs, you can, yes, decline or accept all or a portion of anything on your award letter. Great. So definitely only borrow what you need so you're not stuck with massive loans at the end of your education. And uh, because there's so much content to cover about financial aid, we are going to speak uh, some more with Janet on our next program, and we'll be talking about how to responsibly fill the gap to meet the cost of attendance, as well as uh, what questions you should ask when accepting financial aid, whether it's free aid, cheap aid, or uh, in the form of a private student loan. Thank you so much for your time and expertise, Janet. Thank you, Sara. I appreciate the opportunity to present this information to your listening membership. Yeah, thank you. And for more information about this topic, please visit denvercommunity.studentchoice.org. My email is education at denvercommunity.coop, and I can also be reached via Twitter under the handle at denvercommunity. Our website is denvercommunity.coop/education. Thanks for tuning in.